Welcome to Find the Magic, the podcast that will help you honor yourself, your kids, and your partner. We'll give you tips and strategies to create peace and authenticity within your family. We inhale a ridiculous amount of books and life tools and distill the information for you. I'm Terrilyn Griffin. I'm Caitlin Gabriel. And I'm Felicia Allen. Let's find the magic together. What's up, you guys? Roger Jessup here with the Utah House Doctors. So you just bought your nice new house, and what happens when something goes wrong or something breaks? We have you covered. We have vetted several contractors, whether it be from a break in your sprinkler lines or your kid punched a hole in the wall and you just need a handyman. You have access to these people by following our page, and these are people that we know and trust. Okay, everybody, we are here today. I am here with Dr. Finlayson Fife, who, oh my goodness, I wasn't here for her first interview and I was dying because I had sick kids and I was seriously like at my house, like, oh, I don't get to talk with her. So Dr. Finlayson Fife, I am like total fangirl of yours. I feel like I've been listening to your podcast with other people who I admire for so long and I send your articles to people all the time. I refer people to your website all the time. <laughs> like people will ask me a question. I'll be like, I want to try to describe to you, but I'm just going to pass you on to her because <laughs> what she has to say is so good. And just the whole concept of physical intimacy, I think is something that is so important. And yet people don't know how to talk about it in a healthy way. And I just love the way you present it so that we can talk about it and, mm. and help us really embrace and a really important part of our lives. So mm. thank you for being with us here today. Thanks for having me. So first, can you just introduce yourselves to any of our listeners who haven't heard you before or us talk about you? I mean, we've even quoted you like when you're not even here on our podcast. <laughs> so um, give us a little introduction so that so sure. there's nothing more. So I'm Jennifer Finlayson Fife, and um, I live in Chicago, Illinois, and I um, am LDS, and I studied LDS, well, I got my PhD in counseling psychology, but I put my focus on marriage and family relationships and sexuality. So I ended up writing my dissertation on LDS women and sexuality. So my, my focus is helping people to develop into people capable of rich, happy, emotional and sexual relationships. That's my overall goal in all the education and coaching that I do. And, um, and I really you know, see this as a developmental process of becoming people that are more comfortable with ourselves as we grow and mature, but also more capable of knowing and loving another and others beyond our our partnerships. So that's the work I do. And I teach online courses and I do podcasts and, and also work with people one-on-one. -on -one. I love your passion about the subject. And I love that you have found a way to reach so many people through so many different modalities. So yeah. I love that. Do you still do one-on-one? -on -one I do. Off? I do. And we're thinking about, you know, just because trying to figure out how I use my time, we're thinking about doing a little bit more where there's smaller groups where people like women can learn from each other, get more direct input, but, you know, 
so we're, we're working with some of those possibilities mm. uh, and offering some of those things going forward. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Fabulous. Yeah. Okay. Well, today we are going to dive right in to, in our last interview with you, we talked a lot about uh, a common dynamic of women learning to own their own desire and not just um, kind of hope that their partner is going to figure it out for them. And it's a very classic dynamic, but today we're going to dive right into, so what happens when you don't, your situation isn't that what we consider a society. And I don't even know percentage wise, we Mm -hmm. have an idea in our minds that it's stereotypical, that more men have more desire and married women have less desire. However, I don't know the numbers on that. That might not even be true. It might just be a stereotype. Yeah. But what if you don't feel like in your current situation, that doesn't, that isn't your situation. For example, I know a lot of women, maybe let's just start with this. I know a lot of women who feel shame when they hear the stereotype that most husbands or, you know, male partners just desire their female counterpart. But what if you don't feel desired? And what if you're the one who wants more physical intimacy, more sex? And Absolutely. your partner's not wanting it. So then yeah. there's then there's not only this difficulty because you're not feeling the same thing, but then there's this added shame of, but What's every other woman seems to be desired yeah. by her man. So why isn't mine wanting me as much as right. I want him? So yeah. for any of you out there who are feeling like, I don't feel like I fit into any of the normal or stereotypical um, roles, that's, we're going to go over several different scenarios here that hopefully will help you. So maybe let's sure. address that one first. Can we start with sure. that? Well, yeah, it, first of all, I don't think it's as uncommon as people think. I think within you know, the, the group that I work with most among LDS clients, I think it probably is a little more frequent because I think we get socialized a little more explicitly in that direction. Mm. Uh, that the kind of idea of a virtuous woman is a woman who's sort of distanced from her sexuality and she's kind of the idealized female. Mm. But there's still plenty of clients that I work with where the roles are reversed, where the woman is never felt really desired, really wanted, um, that she's always the one kind of longing for that engagement. And yes, it has this, I think one of the reasons why the other seems so much like what everybody's experiencing is because there's no shame in talking about that. Like, it's sort of like, oh yeah, right. You know, men all want sex and women resist it. So if you fit that, well, you're just a female, you're just a male. But if it's the opposite, it feels like, wow, like you were saying, I'm defective somehow. Where is my desire if you're the guy or where, why doesn't he want me in this way if you're the woman? And so that's a doubly painful thing. But what I would say about it is that these desire dynamics, and this is drawing on a lot of Dr. David Schnarch's thinking because he he did a lot of work around this question of high and low desire dynamics and how they play out within couples. And that this can definitely go the other way in his experience. It was about 50-50 who showed up in his office. Yeah, so he, yeah, exactly. Now he works with the broader population, of course. Excellent. But yeah, yeah, so he was saying it's very common for the woman to be the higher desire person because what's often getting played out is who's in pursuit of, okay, let me start with one. one is that there's just biological differences. And so there may well be men who are, you know, coupling that are just a little less interested in sex. They don't find it to be as important to them as it is to their wives. 
And so there's just going to be natural differences between people. But there's also a quality that can happen where the one who wants more kind of has less power in the relationship. And so in some of the couples where I've, that I've worked with it, sometimes the men don't dislike sex per se. In fact, they might even be looking at pornography a lot or going to you know, massage parlors or something like that. So it's not necessarily that they've shut off sexuality, but they don't want it in an intimate partnership. Mm. And sometimes this has, there's a lot of different factors that are playing a role there, but sometimes I see it as I want to be sexual, but I don't want to have to take care of a woman sexually. Sometimes these are men that came out of family systems where they were always the caretaker or the caretaker of the woman. Mm. And so there's a kind of, I'm fine taking care of you, but I can't bring my sexuality to you. I can't be free with you because I'm supposed to caretake you. And those two do not go together well. Caretaking and desire are kind of count, counterfactual. Mm. And so if that's a quality that I caretake you because that's how I learned how to be with a woman, I'm gonna have a hard time desiring you. Plus I resent you enough that I don't want to give you that kind of pleasure. Mm. Now, you know, I, mm. I loathe kind of big time stereotypes, but I think there is a quality to masculinity and sexuality where the man is it, really, I think women get it kind of good in sexuality in a lot of respects, because when it's working well, a man is, is gen I mean, he's the more active partner. The woman often can be in this receiving role sexually. That's a kind of beautiful surrender. That is a real gift, right. To the woman men who feel resentful and angry towards women, right? Because of the way they've grown up or how that relationship dynamic is playing out are going to not want to do that often with their spouse. And so these are meanings, you know, I talk a lot about, and this is also a David Schnarch idea that meaning is the biggest factor in desire. Belonging to your sense of self is more important than sexuality or sexual pleasure. So for a lot of people who are low desire, they're trying to preserve a sense of themselves by not wanting the other person, by not giving to her, by, you know, maybe giving enough to keep her from complaining all the time, perhaps, but not really bringing their heart. Hmm. And anybody that's the low desire person can kind of relate to that, maybe accommodating while having a wall. I don't mean that everybody who's lower desire is doing it in a pathological way. So just to be clear, like there's just natural differences between couples that, and people can navigate that very well. But sometimes when the low desire is being driven by a kind of defensiveness or self-protection, you can both get through the act of sex, but not really be present and have an open heart. And that's felt by the person in the higher desire position. And so what often happens to the higher desire person is they feel that wall and they feel the withholding and they feel that, the, that they're hungry, not just for the sex, they may well enjoy the sex or want the sexuality, but what they really want is the open heart. What they really want is the approval and the acknowledgement that I matter to you. And oftentimes when you can't get it, then what happens is you start to want it more because yes, you like the sex, but what you really want is that sense of choose me, love me, value me, embrace me as I am. And so it actually inflates the desire. Mm. And then often for the lower desire person, they 
they feel more resistant, like you're consuming me, you need too much, I don't want to have to manage your needs all the time. And so they get often entrenched in low and high desire, kind of artificially inflated or deflated positions. Mm-hmm. Mm. That makes total sense to me, especially that as the higher desire one feels more need that the other person resists it. It's yes. interesting dynamic. I think in general to yes. need, it is oftentimes the reaction to pull back away that's from right. a really strong need. So, okay. So that's a great picture to understand what's happening. So what do you do with that? Where do you go from there? Well, there's like, that would be a five hour answer if I were to <laughs> do it justice, maybe it would be even longer, but But the short answer is the more you are trying to manage your sense of self through another person, either by getting them to accommodate you sexually or getting them to do the thing that makes you feel reassured, the more you're going to entrench this struggle. Or on the other side, if you're the lower desire person, the more you're trying to have a self by fending off the other person, the more you're going to entrench this dynamic. Mm -hmm. And so it's when, and I talk about this a lot in my courses, is that when you're trying to manage your sense of legitimacy by getting the other person to give you the validation you want, the more that you will get, uh, you'll be unable to resolve the struggle. And so human development is very much about growing from this position of dependency on others to manage our sense of self into a deeper ability to regulate ourselves, to be at peace with ourselves, to be okay with who we are um, such that we're more, and and I don't mean just like, hey, I'm cool, whatever the reality is, that you have an honest engagement with yourself and an honest relationship with yourself. And you're living in ways that you can respect honestly, and you can sustain your sense of mattering within yourself more. This makes you much more capable of not being needy, right? and also capable of being able to really love and know someone without feeling like you'll lose yourself in the process. And that's a normal developmental process. It's not an easy process, even though it's a process that we're all engaged in if we are striving to be stronger people, not use each other, right? Because we can do that instinctively. And the more people get capable of this, the more that these power struggles get resolved, the more able they are to really be good to each other, to know each other, to be generous with each other, to choose each other without feeling that you'll lose yourself in the process. Because you know the happiest couples are able to feel like they can really be themselves and be with the other person. Mm-hmm. That even sexually, they can really be at peace in their own skin and belong to themselves and be very close to the other person sexually. Are you talking about the difference between interdependence and codependence here or is this a discussion? Yes. No, that's the same idea. It's just different words, but yes, it's the same idea that yes. Mm -hmm. So interdependence requires a kind of psychological autonomy, which is not a defensive autonomy. It's a, it's the ability to handle your sense of who you really are. Mm-hmm. It's a wholeness that you are yes. a whole, not a half looking for another. Exactly. Half. Exactly. Okay. okay. I'm, I, I'm loving everything you're saying. And I'm thinking sometimes when I am speaking or doing an interview, I can like hear what listeners are going to be asking me from mm-hmm. this. So 
so what I hear you saying is that an important part of when you feel that that balance is off a high desire and a low desire that one of the first steps is coming to know who you are and mattering to yourself yes as a whole person so then it gets tricky because as you were talking I was thinking okay so there's a lot of ways where we can meet our own needs and not be so dependent on other people to meet our needs in a sexual relationship though that's hard so how can you be a whole person sexually and not be needy, mm-hmm. but still yeah. be with the other person? So, I mean, where would you start? Like for me, being a whole person comes down to like, I make sure I have my morning time where I feed myself and I meditate and I connect mm-hmm. with God and I stimulate mm-hmm. my mind and I do things that I love that fill me up. Yes. And then it does, I feel like in a lot of ways, make me a better sexual partner with my husband. Yes. However. Um, if I didn't feel like though that was being met, how, how, well, one thing I would say, I was actually going to turn this light off because I can see that it's making it hard to see. Uh, the one thing I would say is that first of all, counter to many messages that we may get, we don't need sex. I mean, sex is a great part of life and it's a great part of thriving. It's a part of the good life is to have a meaningful sexual relationship but you don't really have sexual needs. I, I just want to, <laughs> I know that sounds really strange to say that. No, I'm not saying that life's just as good without a meaningful sexual relationship. Clearly it's better when that's working. But when people prior, prioritize or make the idea that they have sexual needs that must be met, even at the expense of their dignity, even at the expense of the dignity of their spouse, they undermine their ability to create something meaningful. Now, the trouble in life is that you only have control over yourself, not other people. I mean, it's the trouble and it's also the beauty in life. Part of what's so beautiful about being chosen by somebody is they do it even though you don't necessarily deserve it, right? I mean, I'm very fortunate that I have a man that loves me and I, I function most of the time in lovable ways, right? But that still doesn't mean that I am entitled to it or I deserved it or anything like that. I'm fortunate that he's the person that he is, that he really does choose me and care about me. And you can't control that. You can control how desirable you are. You can control your what, whether or not it's good judgment to choose you and be with you. But you don't have control over whether or not somebody confronts themselves and brings their best to a marriage into a sexual partnership. So you, the only part you have control over in that is whether or not you're dealing with your half of the challenge, whether or not you're looking at what's happening between you if sex is not working well, or if only one of you is happy enough and the other one is unhappy or, you know, Good sex is a team sport. Good sex is an effort of how do we create something mutual that we both feel good about? And so how do we accommodate you and me in this? And what do I need to grow up or address in myself to be a better sexual friend? I think that's very important developmental work Mm. that sometimes we can get away from when we start talking about sex in terms of needs or, you know, you know, just kind of like I'll, I'll sort of put out and keep, keep you happy enough with me, but not really address what's happening between us. And 
anyone who's the higher desire person know how much that hurts to feel like you're just being accommodated. But if you're the higher desire person looking at, am I being, am I addressing in an honest and open way what's really happening here? What my role may be in this struggle between us? Um, am, I, am I basically doing all the work in a sense to make something happen and actually interfering with being chosen. So I, these are just mm. questions one could be asking oneself. But of course, the struggle in it is, is that you don't get to, it doesn't guarantee that your spouse deals with themselves and does their part. You can only address whether or not you're doing yours. Mm. Okay. So you're saying simply focus on being a whole person yourself. Yes. Look at your role and perhaps look at your own, what could be perceived as neediness. And mm -hmm. then you're saying releasing your partner to, if they still don't want to have sex with you, then you just realize that it's not a need. Well, uh, that's a little trickier to say, like you just realize, meaning, yeah, it's not a need, but that's different than saying you're just permanently trapped or you have no choices. You know, you have still choices to make about how do I preserve my dignity mm -hmm. in the face of what is here or what this person, my spouse is or isn't going to do. Mm. You want to make sure you don't play a role in your spouse's choice still, because often people do when they have convinced themselves they don't. Mm -hmm. But if you've really cleaned up your side of the street and this is somebody who doesn't want to deal with themselves and won't, what do I need to do? to feel good about my choices in the face of my difficult options. So it's not like, oh, just forget it necessarily. I mean, maybe somebody does choose to say it's, I'm going to let it go, but it has to really be coming from your strength and your courage to be something that is a mitigating influence in your overall happiness in your life. It has to come from a solid, honest position life pushes us up against hard decisions often uh, where we have to define who we're going to be in the face of imperfect circumstances. Mm -hmm. Marriage is one of many of those. Um, and so I would say, you know, making the most courageous choice you can and what that's going to look like in your life. Mm. And, and sometimes, you know, I've told this story before on podcasts, but I was this is just a good version of it, but one couple I was working with, he was the higher desire person. He always had been. She always was kind of in a victim position around sexuality. They came to me as a couple. I worked with her, but she kind of always would see it as something that the, you know, that my husband wants from me and you, Jennifer, want from me, but I don't really want it. And so finally it became clear that she just didn't want to develop this part of herself. And he'd been patient and all the rest, but finally he said, I'm, you know, I'm just going to take no for an answer. Like I've thought about it a lot. I don't like how I feel pressuring you. I don't like how it makes you feel. I'm not going to pressure it anymore. I'm not going anywhere. Let's raise our kids together. I still care about you, but let's just not try to make it something you don't want it to be. And I really thought this was, you know, earlier in my in my work, but I thought she was going to be like, fantastic. That's great. <laughs> and instead she was like, what do you mean? You're not going to pursue me anymore. You know, and she was someone who had said, if I never have sex again, I'll be thrilled. 
And so the point was that him breaking that dynamic out of an honest place, not a manipulative place, but more of a dignity place. And this is really what I can choose and feel good about myself. She recognized that she was depending on the validation of his pursuit mm -hmm. and not really taking up her responsibility. And once he'd really kind of taken a solid position, she recognized I'm take, I'm not, I don't want this. This is not who I want to be. This is not the kind of marriage I want. And she finally was able to own, this is something that matters to me. And that's when the marriage really shifted. So, yeah. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. And I love that. I love that story because he came to that from an, a really honest space. Yeah, and I'm did. sure the validation of I'm still with you, like I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. Was probably really liberating for her. Yeah. Interesting. And, and the most important thing was he was not doing it as an act of rebellion. He wasn't doing it as an act of, oh, I hope this will get you finally. I mean, he wasn't, some people will hear this and then they'll go home and try and manipulate their spouse <laughs> and it doesn't work, you know, out of a place of trying to control the other. It's a self-control thing. And for this person, it really was. Huh. And, and she could read that. She knew it was trustworthy on his part. And she really could see herself more clearly that she was always sort of taking refuge in this martyr position and she didn't like it in herself and she didn't like how it was depriving her life or their marriage. And so then she had the clarity and the resolution to start to move towards her anxiety about it. Mm. Oh, that's a beautiful story. So, so you're saying as long as we focus on ourselves as a whole person, clean up our end of Mm -hmm. that relationship and then release the other person to make whatever decision on their own that they can. And then we, from a place of what I hear you saying is then it's up to us to choose what we're going to do with that. Right. In our yeah. marriage, in our relationship. And because I mean, we're not trapped, like nobody's that's trapped right. anywhere. Um, but that that's the nature of life is that we can control ourselves. That's we right. Can't control anybody else. That's right. Okay. I love this. I feel like we could actually talk about this for another few hours. So <laughs> let's move on to our next question. But I, that gives me a lot to think about. And hopefully some of our listeners who are in that situation, some places to think, some things to think about. And if you guys have any more questions, you can always go to her website and actually take courses on this to get more. Cause that's a really deep uh, concept on what it means to be a whole person and clean up your mm -hmm. end of the relationship. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that moves us into another situation that for a lot of people brings up a lot of pain when we talk about sexuality. And that is, physical intimacy is a space of vulnerability and safety mm -hmm. and being taken care of. Mm -hmm. So what happens when you are dealing with betrayal trauma, which is very common, the, maybe your sexual partner has betrayed your trust. How can you find that owning your own desire, feeling, being willing to be vulnerable? Mm -hmm. um, how, where do you, where do you start <laughs> I mean, obviously I think therapy is a great place to start, but um, <laughs> what kind of tips do you have for our listeners who are going through that kind of pain right now, but still wanting to have healthy sexuality with their partner who they're choosing for now to stay with? Yeah. Well, okay. There's so many layers to these questions, but what I would say is that the goal is not feeling safe. The goal is being safe. Mm. And there's two factors that impact being safe. One is whether or not you're worth, uh, you're with someone who is trustworthy. 
okay, or, or is, has become more trustworthy, has dealt with their own um, behavior in the partnership, and whether or not you are someone that you can trust to track what's real and to take deep responsibility for yourself. So that's, those are both factors in being safe. For example, if you trust everybody and that makes you be taken advantage of easily, you may feel trusting but be un or feel safe but be deeply unsafe, okay, mm -hmm. right? Because you, you, your lack of ability to track what's real or true keeps you from keeping yourself protected. Mm. Um, you can also be with someone who's, you can be with someone, maybe just take the one step further. If you're gonna be safe, you track that your spouse still hasn't really dealt with themselves, still hasn't really taken responsibility for the for their role in the betrayal and in this in the difficulty then it's not a good idea to you may still be learning and growing yourself from the experience figuring out what's up and down figuring out who your spouse is figuring out who you have been in the partnership up to that point but choose not to re-engage because it's not wise to do it so I'm just saying this because sometimes people want so much to trust again that they are pushing themselves to trust what is not trustworthy. Mm -hmm. But then of course, there's the other version, which is that there's oftentimes where people go through something, the betraying spouse is horrified with themselves, wants to do better, wants to be better, is really self-confronting, really self-correcting, is addressing things. And the partner may even know it and I'll put it in the she form right now that she's the one betrayed she but she may not want to how to say it but if she's really herself going to engage in a marriage at a different level it means she has to also not just be dependent on him because even if he's repented and is doing much better if she's just dependent on him and she's not got something solid in herself she knows he could have, he could lapse again. He could struggle again. So you don't want to just become dependent on somebody again. It's not a smart thing to do. You also don't want to be defensive and guarded all the time either. And so what it requires of the person who was betrayed is that she has to also grow into somebody that's more capable of self-sustaining, not defensive, and not dependent, but able to be self-regulated enough to be able to track, is my spouse being honest? Are they being trustworthy? Are they addressing who they are? Am I addressing who I am, right? Am I falling back in my desire to just go blind to them? Or am I staying aware and strong and solid? Because when you repair the marriage, when it really works, both have grown into stronger people people more capable of interdependence, people more capable of being honest with themselves and each other. So whenever a betrayal happens, it fractures the old marriage. As horrifying as that is, it is an opportunity. I mean, it's very disruptive for people. It shakes their whole world up. It's really hard. Uh, even for the betraying person, if they have any conscience, it shakes up their world. Like, who mm -hmm. am I? Like, how have I come to this? How have I done this? So both people grow up and get stronger and they both become people more capable of love and intimacy. 
they become more honest with themselves and each other. So they become more able to create something that's qualitatively different than what they started with. But it does require a deeper, even if a more sober understanding of, of, of life and what it is to be human, a more honest one and one that's more anchored into what's true about themselves and the other. And that's the safety. I mean, the truth is the safety of being able to track what's really real about yourself and others. Hmm. About actually being safe, not feeling safe. Mm -hmm. So if you don't, so say, for example, if you're in the process of healing and you know, you're not sure if your spouse is going to continue to be faithful or you're not sure if they are going to deal with their issues, um, is there a way to still have a healthy sexual relationship during that healing time? Or are you saying that it really isn't until you're pretty solid on whether or not you can? Oh, there's two questions here. Mm -hmm. They're battling in my mind. Does having a sexual relationship require that being safe? Well, it obviously doesn't require it, but mm -hmm. a healthy one, uh, a meaningful mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, because you can have sex with anybody and- sure. And then the other question there is, is trust necessary? Is it a necessary part of love or is it not? I guess there's really two questions there. I think, well, okay, there are two questions. Help me remember the second one. I'll, I'll come back to that. But okay, so the first one, I mean, honestly, I think that there's a lot of people that are going through the disruption that are still having sex. There's both and it's often deeply ambivalent. Like, I don't want you to touch me and I desperately want you to have sex with me. And oftentimes people are feeling both things because it's sort of a way of dealing with loss, but the, but the very person that you want so much to be close to is the same one who was willing to lie to you or harm you in some way. Mm -hmm. So I think in some ways respecting that ambivalent. Hey everyone, this is Tara Lynn, and I would just like to give a personal thank you to everybody who has left us a review. They are so kind. I seriously get like teared up when I read them. Um, one of my most current favorites is from a mom. She says that our podcast came out about when her first baby was born and she'd listen to our episodes on every walk that she'd go on. And she felt like she had like her best friends walking with her. So I just want to let you guys know that um, we've had a lot of people say that we feel like they feel like we are their friends. And I want you guys to know that we think about you guys all the time as our listeners. And we, I totally feel like you're our friends as well. So I just want to thank you for leaving us a review and let you know it is so helpful for us and our podcast success when you do leave us a kind review. So Thank you. Um, if you are willing to leave us one, you just go to search Find the Magic on Apple Podcasts, and then you scroll to the bottom of the page and leave a review, and then you make sure you push send after you leave the review and give us a rating. Thank you so, so much, and hope you have a beautiful day. So yeah, so respecting the ambivalence is a kind thing to do to yourself because you're trying to navigate a real, a real disruption. And I wouldn't say, you know, 
you should never have sex until you feel 100% safe again, because you probably never have sex again. <laughs> but you do want to think about, is this getting driven more by a need for reassurance and validation? Or do I think this is something that I can stand behind for myself? Mm. And that's different than if I choose to have sex while we're figuring this out, that I have now said I'm fully back in 100%. Meaning you are still able to say, I don't want this, or I don't want this going forward, or I love you and I will miss our sexual relationship, but I don't choose to stay in it. Meaning you have choices. Sometimes I think we feel like if we make a step in a direction, we've given up our choices. When we continue to be agents in making decisions about what we want, where we want to invest our energy in our lives, and what we're trying to create. So I think, you know, being compassionate towards yourself and trying to think about what's motivating it. And is it a motivation that's going to, that I can back up and feel good about, or is it going to undermine me in some way? That's the most important thing. Mm which comes back to being a whole person and having respect yes. for yourself. That's right. Mm, okay, that's beautiful. Okay, well, that kind of moves us on to, uh, there, again, there's so much more. Jennifer, I feel like I could just talk to you for hours. <laughs> but that moves us on to another really common question that we have when you're in a situation where maybe you're either recovering from a difficult situation where you're not, you're not choosing to have sex or you're single and you, you don't have a sexual partner, Mm-hmm. how is it possible to have healthy sexuality and not have a sexual partner? And this gets into, I mean, mm-hmm. fulfilling your own needs. What's your opinion about masturbation? Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of, and these are subjects that are difficult for a lot of people to talk about, but I think it's important. So can you mm-hmm. talk about it a little? Sure. So, I mean, I think we come out of a culture currently that for as much as we celebrate variation, we're pretty monotheistic when it comes to how people should be sexual in some ways. Like that is to say, we really believe the idea that if you're not having sex, you can't possibly be healthy. And Mm. I know lots of unhealthy people are having lots of sex. (laughs) Okay. So I just don't think it's fair to say that there's one way to do this. I would say that it really comes down to integrity-based choices around how you relate to something as complex and beautiful as sexuality is, and especially intimate sexuality. You know, very often we don't have the choices that we want. I mean, we may even be married and not have the kind of partnership that we want around sexuality. And so again, it comes back to this really kind of the theme of this interview is how do you make choices that you can feel good about in the face of those, of the limited choices you may be up against. I think in my experience, people who are single, who are healthy, it's not necessarily about whether or not they're having sexual experiences as whether or not they are thinking from a place of deep ownership of their choices and honesty with self driving those choices. And are these choices that accrue to their strength and them really being the person they believe is best for them to be? Or are they in some way fear-based or indulgence-based 
that's actually undermining their sense of well-being. So I think like I am definitely a fan of sexuality and I embrace it as a really fundamental part of life. But I also, even more importantly than that, see it as the person, as an agent, as a chooser is the primary factor that drives healthiness. So, you know, my dissertation research was looking at women who'd grown up in the LDS church who were active and looking at their transition from premarital into marital sexuality. And the women who did the best, meaning they really thrived in their marital relationships, really felt good about their sexual natures, enjoyed pleasure, liked sex, they were pretty conservative as a group in their behaviors premaritally. The thing that was different about them from people who didn't transition well, because many of them actually did have sexual experiences before marriage, but didn't necessarily transition happily into marriage. So it wasn't about sex or the absence of it. It was how they related to their choices. And so the women who related to even the decision to wait or to not masturbate, for example, they weren't doing it out of sex is bad and I'm so shameful that I feel this way or that I want these things. They weren't saying that to themselves. In fact, they saw sex as like this pretty cool thing that they looked forward to experiencing more fully but they were making a decision that for themselves, they wanted to wait and choose to kind of with to kind of keep a damper on their sexuality in a choice and choice based and thoughtful manner until they got married. But because there was no shame about it, and it was really a choice about what they wanted for themselves, they weren't doing it because other people had told them they were really doing it because that's, I mean, other people may have influenced how they thought about sexuality but this was what they wanted for themselves. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it really belonged to them in their more subdued version of it and the more wholehearted version of it. And that for me is what healthy is. It's their agency and their choosing drives that process. And so I would never say you must masturbate, you must not masturbate, you must do X or Y. I think it's more about how, who do I wanna be relative to sexuality? And is that being driven by kind of a moral position that accrues to my strength or is it a moral position that's driven by fear and anxiety? That's the bigger factors. Hmm. That's fascinating. And it does come back to, I think one of the themes in everything we talk about on this podcast is that everything comes down to choice. Choosing, mm-hmm. choosing I mean, you can choose we give away our power when we give away our ownership of our own choice. So, so you're saying here that however you choose to live your sexuality or lack of sexuality, if you are single or in a situation where you don't have a sexual partner, um, matters less than owning that it is who you want to be. Not a place of shame or uh, fear or fear, mm-hmm. but choosing or indulgence and entitlement and anger either. You know, I mean, there's a lot of different ways we could drive our choices that don't necessarily create within us who we really want to be. Yeah. But life I, is nothing else, if not hard choices, often within incomplete options. That's mm-hmm. kind of what it is. And, and basically saying, this is a choice, albeit imperfect, that I can feel best about. That's Mm. so often what living life well means. 
Mm, I love that. It's so beautiful. And it comes back to being whole. Yes. And again, it goes back to respect of ourselves. Yes. That's beautiful, Jennifer. Thank you. Okay, well, I I want more talking with you, but <laughs> our our time is up. So for everybody else who's listening, who wants more from you, wants more of your wisdom, can you tell us where our listeners can find more from you? Sure. So I have the Dr. Finlayson Fife podcast archive where you can find lots of podcasts that I do on different subjects. And you can find those subjects by going to my website under the podcast tab. And there's a lot of different links based on different subjects, spirituality, sexuality, developments, and so on. And then I have five online courses that have to do with being growing into more capacity for both emotional and sexual intimacy, but also deeper peace with oneself. So I have two couples courses on developing your relationship with yourself and each other, and also your sexual relationship with each other, and then a men's and women's sexuality course, and then how to talk to your kids about sex. So, um, so all that's there. And you can also follow me on Instagram or Facebook and all that. So it's all there on the website to be seen all the different resources. So yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time. I admire your work and am grateful that you are doing an important work and putting all this out into the world because it's so valuable. And so I appreciate it. And I'm sure our listeners will find so much value. Thank you. Thank you, doctor, for your time. Brown cows. <laughs>